0: You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I'm really honored to be joined by David Cole. David, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for your invitation, Phil. Bless you.
0: So let's kick it off by just sharing a little bit of who you are. I know you also go by Brother Cassian, so maybe we can start right there.
1: Yep. So uh, my name is David Cole, uh, but I'm also a a vowed member of uh, a Celtic inspired dispersed new monastic community uh, in which I uh, am known as Brother Cassian. So I've taken on a monastic name within that community. And and you're an author and you also help to you're the
0: founder and executive director of Waymark Ministries as well. So can you share a little bit about about that?
1: Yeah, so Waymark Ministries really uh, is a a way that I've found to uh, take the things that have inspired me on my own spiritual journey and share them with other people. Um, and I've been doing that for a little over 10 years now um, and it seems to be inspiring other people as well because they, you know the, the, the bookings keep coming in and the books keep getting sold and so the, those things that have inspired me on my journey uh, are obviously where a lot of other people are as well so that's what Waymark Ministries is um, it's really geared towards those people who probably don't get much out of traditional mainstream, Expressions of church uh, probably have uh, fallen out of or fallen out with uh, that expression of the Christian faith, mm. um, as I kind of have on, on my own journey. But still want to have a, a Christocentric spirituality. Still want to connect with others who want that kind of Christ-centered spiritual journey um, in in other ways. So that's what it. That's what its aim is. Um, that's what its foundation was 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 based on. Um, And the things that I have learned on my own journey are based mostly on Christian mysticism or the Celtic Christian tradition, as it's known. So let's dig into that Celtic Christian
0: tradition a little bit, Mm. because we or I and many of my listeners, not all, there's many in the UK and and Europe. But um, in the United States, the Celtic tradition is not all that well known. But I think every time someone comes across something from the tradition, we're like, we want to know more. So can you tell us a little about that tradition and what kind of um, led you to want to be a member of it?
1: Well, historically, um, there, was, there, there wasn't there was anything in its own day called Celtic Christianity, but there was certainly um, uh, expressions of the Christian faith amongst the Celtic people and the people influenced by the Celtic peoples um, that was slightly different to... The, the mainland continental Latin Church um, so what we mean historically is uh, the Christianity that grew in Ireland and uh, some of the, the the places around Britain um, that were uh, uh, Celtic by by um, heritage, um, and so had their own way of doing things, particularly in Ireland, but also particularly on the west coast of Britain, um, because of the the, the the Roman Empire coming in, um, in the early centuries, uh, CE, uh, influencing heavily the the British Isles uh, but never conquering Ireland so the Iron Age in Ireland and their expression of the spirituality they had lasted up until about 800-900 CE which is you know obviously just before about the time of the Vikings basically the Iron Age in Ireland lasted up to the Vikings Um, and so their expression of the Christian faith when it came um, and the British expression of the Christian faith, which was here before the, the, the Latin church's expression of the faith. Uh, I say here, being <laughs> uh, living resident in the UK. Um, it, it held something slightly different uh, because it didn't just have the continental influence. Uh, it also had an Eastern Orthodox influence, um, but it also had its own expression. So it was kind of a, a mix of these three things together. Whereas the main Uh, continental Latin church was just the Latin church this kind of indigenous spirituality this indigenous Christian spirituality in in Ireland and and in some parts of Britain um, and then after the Roman Empire left the Irish mission into the Anglo-Saxons they had uh, their own kind of way of doing things because they had this this collection of influences, the Latin and the Orthodox and uh, their own expression of it. So it meant slightly different theology, slightly different ways of expressing the faith. Um, and, and some of those things have begun to um, interest people in our modern context who are not finding all of their spiritual uh, itches being scratched by modern church. What
0: might one of those distinctives be? Something if you were to say, hey, this really <laughs> sort of comes from Celtic Christianity or something that sort of differentiated it.
1: Yeah, but I, I would say there's three three points that most people uh, connect with the most. One is uh, that there was no distinction between spiritual and physical. There was no sacred and secular divide. Um, mm-hmm. Everything in the Celtic context was uh, about their spiritual life. Everything was what they did with with their divine You know, with the connection with the divine. So there was that. Um, So the the question, how is your spiritual life would have been completely nonsensical to to the Celts and actually most other indigenous cultures, too. Um, So there's that. And, And because of that, one of the other things is a deep connection and interrelation with the natural world. So whereas through Augustine and Jerome and others, there was a real distinction between the physical world and the spiritual world um, and the implementation of this concept of original sin, which came from the Latin church. Um, This idea of of the separation between uh, the spiritual and the physical, so that the physical world actually was just a fallen backdrop. To human beings, whereas in the Eastern Orthodox Church, always all the way through, and still has, um, and in the Celtic Church, there was a real sense that, that the divine is interwoven into nature, and that should affect the way that we interact with it and how we treat it. Um, so there's those two things. So that the the uh, the connection with nature uh, is a big one, and um, uh, and then there's the uh, the idea of this this whole concept of of original sin as well, which which doesn't seem to be in the Celtic uh, stream of Church um, because it's never been in Eastern Orthodox Church, so um, there was that contestation as well. That was one of the things that um, uh, that caused the, a bit of a, a divide between the Continental Latin Church and this little little rock on the top northwest edge of the Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate
0: that because one of the big things in this sort of contemplative or mystical path of just connecting to God in the everyday is the idea that we can connect to God right here today. This is the, this is kind of the only moment, right? I know in your book, you talk about the eternal now. Can you, can you take Mm. us into the eternal now? Because I think that's related to the physical not being separated from the spiritual, from a connection to creation. God is here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the eternal now is really the only place that we can exist and the only place that we can uh, interact with that divine presence, because uh, it is only now that we can be present. We can't be present in the past or the future um and the eternal now is the moment that we're in so when we started this conversation when you started that question when you asked the question about the eternal now see that's now in the past that's not now that's gone uh and now me just rambling on about it is the eternal now it might sound like (laughs) an eternal now as well me keeping going on about it but that's that's where we need to be we need to be fully present in this moment um and and you know we are as a human being uh, we are made up of, of, of four sections, really, of four aspects, uh, body, mind, soul and spirit. Um, and so our body is always fully present in the, in the now. So it can only be here now. I can only be sitting here talking to you now and you can only be sitting there talking to me now. As useful as it might be sometimes to maybe be in two or three different places, uh, we can only be physically here now. But our minds are often somewhere else. Uh, in the past or the future, hardly ever in the moment, even if it's only a short distance in the past or the future. So we're thinking about what's just happened or we're thinking about what's going to happen. You know, or we're thinking about where we're going to when we're traveling or we're thinking about what's next on our fork as we're eating our dinner. We're actually hardly ever mentally in this eternal moment, this, this now moment. Uh, and so actually we miss Uh, a lot of what's going on because our brain is somewhere else and what happens naturally is in if our brain is somewhere then our emotions our soul follows it so we think about something and then we have an emotional reaction so we think about some action that's happened in the past or is going to happen in the future uh, and then we have an emotional reaction to it and that's just naturally what happens this this uh, you know process of the soul following the mind Uh, so if we are leaving the spiritual context to ourselves aside for the moment. So everybody, even if they don't believe in a spiritual context, has this mind-body-soul relation going on. So if their mind is somewhere else and their soul follows them, then, you know, two-thirds of them, for most of their life, is not present in the moment. Uh, So they're going to miss everything that's actually happening in the moment. And it's fascinating when you do this study with people how much people miss Uh, when they're not that that present in the moment and then of course you've got the spiritual context to us uh, bringing that in Um, and if we are here in this moment this is the only moment that we can actually interact with the divine so if if we want the divine to speak to us then we need to be present in this eternal now moment uh, because that's the only point of communication uh, that that that, that that's possible
0: yeah, I remember. So we, we, I was reading this your your book, The Art of Peace: Life Lessons from Christian Mystics, and when I came across that section, you know, what came to mind for me was how how unintegrated and split we often feel. Yes. Because our body is going to experience the present, right? We can't make it experience mm-hmm. something else. But when our mind and then our spirit and our emotions are somewhere else, it's almost like we get these conflicting messages from the past interacting with the present, the present interacting with the future. And yeah. one, I think that can be very confusing and disorienting. But two, I think we then often end up missing the body component, not listening Mm. to what our body is trying to communicate to us. And so in your book, you start talking about the importance of stillness and silence.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And and really,
1: there's there's only two really aspects of our body that we tend to, in the the main, listen to. And that's when it's telling us we're hungry or when it's telling us it's tired. Mm. And we listen to those two things. But there is such a myriad of other things that it's communicating with us that we miss if we're not present. Yeah. And God can communicate to us through those things. Right. So it's it's, absolutely
0: it's when we when we don't listen to that component, I think we're missing something really important. So let's now dive into something that I think can be kind of a a big conversation, because one of the ways that we can most easily or I don't know the, the, the best word for, but one of the ways to really enter into the present moment to feel our body to become here is through our breath. And so breath work then is central to meditation, to mindfulness, to awareness. Let's start talking about the breath. I love this quote you have in the book by St. Gregory uh, Palamas. Can you can you tell us about him and tell us a little about breath?
1: Yeah, so uh, Gregory Palamas was uh, from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Uh, Around about the 14th century, he he was around. So um, interestingly, saying very similar things to a very well-known Western uh, mystic from the Western tradition, Meister Eckhart, same sort of period of time, saying the same sort of things. Um, So there was a a movement in the Eastern Orthodoxy, or there still is a movement in Eastern Orthodoxy called Hesychasm. Uh, which is uh, kind of the mystical contemplative branch of the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, and there was someone who wrote uh, a treatise uh, attacking the Hesychasts, and Gregory Palamas then defended them uh, in in saying that actually this is a this is an important part of um, what we what we need what we need to do as a as a as a body of believers. We need to get into this mystical contemplative tradition. Um, uh, and one of the things that he talks about uh, is this this sense of the breath. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm just trying to uh, just trying to find it in this so I can read it for you. Um, I could read the quote if that's helpful. Um, he says it is
0: not out of place to teach people, especially beginners, that they should introduce their own mind to themselves through control of breathing. And, and later on, he says, this is why he says certain masters recommend them to control the movement inwards and outwards of the breath and to hold it back a little in this way they will also be able to control the mind together with the breath. Recollection focused mindful awareness is a spontaneous effect of the attention of the mind for the to and fro movement of the breath becomes quieted during intensive reflection on it, especially with those who maintain inner quiet
1: in body and soul. Yeah. So that's that's a fascinating quote that I, that I, I picked up on one of his you know his his treatise on, on the defense of Hesychasm, um, because this is basically uh, exactly verbatim for uh, a lot of the, the, the teachings on mindfulness that we have in our modern context. Uh, a lot of people thinking that mindfulness comes from the Buddhist tradition uh, and the breathing, which is particularly with Zen as well. Zen Zen uh, speaks a lot about the breath and the breathing. Um, uh, and thinking, perhaps even thinking that as Christians, we shouldn't engage with that type of meditation. We should stick with the just, you know, lecto divino or contemplative prayer, uh, because it comes from a different tradition that might you know, bring a bit of uh, syncretism in. But actually, we see here 14th century Eastern Orthodox teaching uh, exactly what Zen is talking about, exactly what Buddhism is talking about, because actually it's not from that tradition. Uh, That tradition does use it, of course, uh, but in the same way as, you know, uh, the Muslims pray and the Jews read scriptures. And, you know, we wouldn't say that prayer is from the Muslim tradition. And we wouldn't say that reading scriptures from the Jewish tradition. It's just a, a part of all faith and religion. Uh, that we do these things as is meditation including focus on the breath which uh, is a big part of our modern context and, and teaching on the focus on the breath is really important because uh, it's it's kind of meditation on mindfulness 101 you know so every every starting point of every tradition of every teaching of mindfulness uh, is about focusing on the breath because we always have our breath you know, some people like to fiddle with prayer beads. Some people like to listen to music. Some people like to look at things. Some people like to contemplate on a, a piece of writing. There will be times when you might feel that you need to engage in meditation, but you haven't got any of those things. But you've always got your breath uh, until you haven't got your breath. Then it doesn't really matter anymore because uh, you won't need the meditation practice. Um, and so this kind of the very basic teaching of meditation is how to use your breath. And uh, So focusing on the breath, using the breath to slow your body and your mind down, um, uh, as, as as Gregory Palamas here, here says, uh, and this is very deeply entrenched in our Christian tradition. So, yeah, something I would really encourage everyone to, to, to start to practice.
0: Well, and connecting it back then to the beginning of our conversation, the reason that this is so important and... I think that our especially Western Christianity, I know we've talked a lot about Eastern Orthodox right and the, these other traditions, but our Western sort of Protestant tradition has sort of missed this, like you said, because of fear of, oh, it might bring in this or it might be related to that, but there's something about a breath that ties us into the eternal now right because absolutely. breath is not something you can do in the future it's not something no. that it will help you from the past it's something that every single moment you must engage in or you die
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's a, it's a great little meme that kind of floats around and comes up on my uh, social media pages every now and again that says something like uh, we're always two minutes away from death yeah. and every time we take a breath it resets yeah you know, so we are always in that eternal moment, in that, that breathing uh, cycle. And, I, and so, yeah, it does, does kind of lock, lock us into that moment. Well, and therefore, it helps connect us to God because
0: that breath, you know, we know from the early book of Genesis, God breathes life into us. Right. So there is that yeah. that spiritual component to it. But a lot of people may think, well, focusing in on your breath, you know, engaging in mindfulness, that's that's just all about you. So other than connecting to the eternal now, which may be the the whole part of it, how how do we go the next step when people say, okay, fine, I'll stop, I'll pay attention to my breath, I'll become mindful the moment. How does that open us to a greater connection to the divine?
1: I think there's two levels to this, actually. I think uh, one level is how it, it, it connects us more deeply with the divine and also about how it connects us with other people as well. Um, because the, the, the basic reality is uh, who you are is who you are, uh, by which I mean who we are in our inner being is who we are expressed into the world. So, you know, if you want to be a more peaceful person, what you've got to do is to transform the, the inner being of yourself to become a more peaceful being. And then you, you, you project that out into the world. Uh, you can't try to be more peaceful because, you know, you'll, you'll maybe succeed for a little while, but then you'll begin to fail at it uh, because, you know, it's not actually who you are, but who you are in your inner self that's naturally who comes out. You know, Jesus said uh, the overflow of the heart comes out the mouth. Uh, and, And we could also say, you know, the overflow of the heart actually comes out in every expression of ourselves. So who we are in our inner selves is who we are into the world. So what we do with our inner being, the time we spend cultivating our inner self actually makes a very big difference to, to the way we connect with the world and more significantly, the way the world connects with us. Um, because it's people will want to be with people that, that are better people. You know, you, If you find someone who's very peaceful, if you find someone who's very loving, if you find someone who's very compassionate, you know, you want to be in their presence. Um, if you find someone who's very tense, if you find someone who's, who's very agitated and, and, and antagonistic, you don't really want to be in their presence. Uh, and so you kind of avoid those people. And so cultivating an inner peace uh, and a, a sense of the presence of the divine in our own being means that we're projecting that into the world just naturally by who we are. So we become contemplatives um, and we embody that expression of the divine, that peace of God, which transcends understanding. Um, and of course, the, the, the more we cultivate that within ourselves, the, the greater the connection with that essence of the divine uh, we can come to, because you know, a, a bit like a normal conversation, like this conversation, the best way for me to hear what you have to say is for me to stop talking. So if you've got something to say, I'm not likely to hear it or hear it properly if I'm still making noise and I'm still talking. So, actually, I have to become still and quiet to be able to hear you properly. And so that brings a, a, a greater connection in our conversation between you and I. Uh, and there's obviously the same thing is, is true with God. You know, the, the, the more still we become in our own selves, the closer we can, we can uh, find that connection with the divine.
0: Well, it seems then to connect to help connect us to our true selves as well, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's who we actually are in the moment. But I think so frequently we're living out of some false image that we're trying to project to the world. But when we slow down, and I think sometimes that may be why we avoid slowing down in stillness is we don't want to deal with our true self, but then we're never really engaging out of who God made us to be, are we?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, this whole concept of the true self and the false self um, has been you know, part, part of the Christian mystic tradition for, for centuries. Uh, Richard Raw probably is the person these days who's most famous for talking about it. But of course, he gets a lot of his information from Thomas Merton, who spoke a great deal about the true self and the false self. My favourite writings of Merton on this topic are uh, a few, two or three chapters in uh, within New Seeds of Contemplation where he talks really directly about this. Uh, but you, you know you can go right back to people like Meister Eckhart, who I've mentioned before, um, and, and Julian of Norwich as well in some of her writings and some of the revelations of divine love. You can see this concept of, of actually discovering who we truly are, who we're really made to be. Um, and, and some of it comes out in Jungian psychology as well. Uh, this idea of the false self is, is who we create, the persona we create, uh, to, to be who we think we're supposed to be or to be who, who we think we should be to, uh, to, to, to be able to connect with the rest of the world or how other people expect us to be um, or what we think other people expect of us. And it's just so complicated. Um, and one of the things I think is fantastic about uh, discovering your true self um, is that it's such an uncomplicated way of being. Uh, because you're not trying to be something that you're not really uh, and you're not trying to incorporate all the things that you think other people think you should be um, and and all those those kind of aspects and you don't feel the need to uh, defend your opinion you don't feel the need to um, you know argue your point all the time you know those people who've kind of found a, a security in their true self they don't feel the need to argue their own point or to put their point across. Uh, because, you know, it, it, one of the things that we discover about the true self, the path into the true self is that everybody, everybody's true self is different. And everybody's on a different point of the journey. So everyone's going to see things from a different perspective. Uh, and, and so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's okay. So we don't have to force our point and opinion across.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that that is the name of your book, is about the art of peace. I think there's a level where when we are not our true selves, we can't be at peace with ourselves because by its very nature, yeah. then there's a division. And when there's a, a division, yeah. there can't be peace. And therefore I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh who talks about how often when we're at war with others, it's because we actually are living out the war that we have yeah. going on with ourselves internally. So if we yeah. want to both experience and further peace, it seems to start internally. We we want to look externally, but maybe by going deeper in, it allows us to go deeper with others too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think this is part of the uh, the false self projection as well. Because if you um, if you say you've got to look within, that what you're doing is taking responsibility for your own actions. You're not blaming somebody else for the stuff that's going on and how you are, uh, which is what other people like to do. You know, people like to blame other people and say, well, it's this circumstance or it's this situation or it's these people. That's why I'm behaving like this. That's why I am who I am. Um, whereas in actual fact, yeah, if you if you start with yourself, your first step is I've got to take responsibility for my own actions. Uh, I can't blame other people for what I'm doing or how I am or anything like that. Um, and yeah, so uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who was really good friends with uh, Thomas Merton um, back in, in, the, in the 60s, um, He he uh, has has a a very uh, strong um, influence by by Christianity as well. Really uh, uh, um, has has a lot of respect for Christianity. Um, But he says one of the things he says he does a lot of calligraphy and writing. One of the famous pieces that he's done it simply says uh, peace in yourself, peace in the world, uh, which is just exactly what you were saying. You know, to 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 gain that sense of peace within ourselves, uh, then we project it into the world. You know, if we want a, a uh, world peace, then every individual needs to start with themselves. So if every individual uh, gained a sense of peace within themselves and lived out the true self, then we would have world peace because no one would be fighting for land. No one would be uh, have the need to, to fight for their opinion and, and those sorts of things. People would just go, okay, so this is what I think and that's what you think and that's okay. Well, that seems to be, I, I think, why so many people
0: nowadays are turning to various quote unquote, spiritual traditions, and finding things like meditation and breath work helpful. And it's painful to me when people are like, oh, I can't find that in the church, right? I have to go elsewhere. And I, I think we've sort of missed the boat then because people are discovering this to be true in their practical living, and it's, yeah. it's, it's nice to know it's actually a part of our tradition. It's not that we're going somewhere else, actually. I, I mean, I think even going back to Jesus, who says something like, look at the birds of the air, look at the flowers mm. of the field. I mean, yeah. I think Jesus was a was a very mindful, present person. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's just two things come to mind from, from what you just said. I mean, it's exactly that thought that sparked off uh, Father Thomas Keating and Basil Pennington and a number of others to uh, create the centering prayer movement uh, and the mm-hmm. contemplative outreach movement so it's so a basically if you listen to thomas keating's story um uh, just kind of butcherizing it and simplifying it um he he was uh, in the, in a monastery uh and and people were coming to the monastery door because it was on the high street uh, saying can you tell us where the buddhist temple is uh and he would go direct into the buddhist temple and he would stop some of them and say why why are you wanted to go to the buddhist temple and they said because we want to find a tradition that enables us to to do meditation and and live in peace and have a still Mm. center and and he was thinking well we have that it's part of our tradition as well you know and they were kind of uh they they created the um the centering prayer movement based on a book called the cloud of unknowing uh which i quote a little bit in the art of peace but it's a 14th century english uh, monastic text on how to how to live a contemplative life, basically, how to how to practice contemplation. Um, and he said, you know, basically, I want to show them that we have this in our tradition and in all streams of our tradition as well, um, the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic tradition, um, and and some elements of of uh, the the Protestant, but I think this is one of the you know one of those things that the Protestant uh, Reformation throughout, um, it was one of the babies yeah. that went with the bathwater. Exactly. Um, this whole contemplative uh, movement. Uh, but yeah, going back to Jesus, absolutely, he was this 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 quiet contemplative. I uh, had this practice as part of it. Um, one one of the things that we discover in in Luke's gospel is that that phrase Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to to pray. Yeah. And um, and there's a couple of really important words in in that passage. One is the word "often." Uh, which <laughs> denotes something that is not a, 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 a one-off occasion. It's something actually that they, he did regularly. It was re- it might only be referenced once and uh, kind of alluded to another time in Mark, but um, this is a, a regular occurrence. He often went off to pray. If someone was going to say something about us, this is what Phil often does, or this is what David often does. It's something that I'm going to be doing regularly. You know, it's, no one's ever going to say that a David often, is often at the gym but they, they will say David is often with their book in his hand, you know. So it's something I do regularly. So Jesus often went off to quiet places to pray. And, and, and a, a, another word in that, that passage to go to the, the original Greek um, uh, is, is the words uh, hyper, uh, Imi Hypochorio, which is the word for withdrew in that passage. Uh, so the original Greek is me hyperchoreo, And uh, it literally means to, to take a retreat to just be. The so, IMI means to just be and hyperchore means to go off on retreat. So this wasn't just occasions where Jesus often kind of snuck behind a tree to catch his breath because there was a lot of crowds of people there. It was actually times where Jesus left and walked up into the mountain and spent maybe days up there on his own, um, just being in that divine presence. So what we would now class as contemplative prayer, what we understand as contemplative prayer. So absolutely, this is part of Jewish culture as part of Jesus practice. So it should be part of ours.
0: Well, I think that's a huge, important realization, because, Mm. you know, traditionally, we think Jesus ministry was maybe three-ish years, right? Somewhere around there. However, we, you know, if we want to debate it, whatever, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a 40-year ministry or something like that. So if he had a pretty limited time, Mm. yet he often (laughs) left to take space by himself it's fascinating yeah. to me. And, and Jesus was God, right? I mean, in our tradition, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe that that was the incarnation of the divine. Yet how frequently we believe we don't have enough time to do <laughs> such things, which then makes yeah. me ask myself, am I more important than God if I can't take the same time <laughs> to do the same thing? But it, it, rather than just a nice thing to be added on, I, I think I'm coming to realize it's actually vitally essential to have time every day Absolutely. and then some other longer times to do this. Yeah. It's not really an option. It it might be something we we have to do or really should be doing. Right.
1: Yeah. I, well, I think it's as essential as eating or sleeping, mm. you know, to do this. And, and I mean, I think this this passage from 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 uh, Luke five is actually uh, basically what I open the book with a little ramble. Uh, of the first chapter to, to kind of welcome you into the book and then I, I, I tell this story from Luke 5 in my own uh, kind of uh, paraphrased version um, but the fascinating thing about the story in Luke when we're talking about not having enough time is Jesus is uh, um, prioritizing between work and contemplation Um, And and what we find in in this passage in Luke 5 is that there are two occasions, once in the morning, once in the evening, where crowds of people come to Jesus um, with the expectation that he's going to do his job. So his job is, you know, to to preach the gospel and uh, to, to heal the sick and to cast out demons. So, you know, that's kind of his job in that kind of earthly ministry period. And there's an expectation from these people in the crowds that he does it. So in the morning, crowds of people come to Jesus with the expectation that he's going to do his job and he does it he sits in the boat and he preaches to the crowd and then later, later on he goes and heals someone and he's casting out demons etc and then in the evening more people come more crowds come to Jesus with the expectation that he's going to do his job again yeah. and there is this pressure from the outside that I you know these people have an expectation of me this is what I'm supposed to be doing this is who who I am you know um, but Jesus has a different response the second time in the evening. That's when that verse comes into play. The but it says, Jesus often withdrew and went to quiet places to pray. Jesus, in the second instance, did not preach the gospel. He did not heal them. He left them unhealed. He left them unpreached to. He left them with you know with without any casting out any demons at that point because he prioritized. Uh, Or He balanced his priorities from working and doing stuff during the day and in the evening, he went off to spend time with God. Now, it would have been very easy for him to bow to the pressure of expectations of others. And we often do that. But he had the the, the, the sense within him and and the the, the, the connection with his true self within him to not be pressurized by the expectations of others, uh, but actually to balance this out with the priorities that he needed at that time. And that's really vitally important, particularly, I think, to anybody who's in ministry, because if that's how Jesus approached his ministry, then that's how we should approach our ministry. So I think if any there should be any teaching to anybody going into leadership or ministry, it should be uh, Luke 5, verses 1 to 16. That should be like a, a core uh, text for the, the practice uh, of keeping that balance and prioritizing.
0: No, absolutely. I, I, I'm in a complete agreement. You know, it might be one of my new favorite passages because <laughs> it is, it's so challenging because you can't get away from the fact, like you said, that Jesus seemingly turns down a ministry opportunity to say, I need yeah. to go and be by myself, but also an amazing invitation then that if we are literally called to be like Jesus, then that yeah. is to be like Jesus. And I love that you pointed out that it was it was from an internal space that there's external pressure to do something. But this kind of returns back to the having an internal peace, being connected to ourselves, connected to God, that everything for him, right? I do what I see the father doing. It was flowing out of that relationship with God. So it seems like he couldn't have done any of that ministry without that time, without going back to that space.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think everything kind of flows out of that. It's a bit like. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you might have a, a really uh, important or a really uh, hard day ahead of you. So most of us at that point will probably have an early night and try and get a bit extra sleep because we've got a hard day ahead. or We've got an important day ahead. Um, so, we, so we go into the rest to be able to come out of the rest into the, the work. And I think that's also really important as well, that we flow out of the contemplation into action. Um, and that's that's kind of part of what I talk about in the, the last chapter, uh, which is uh, called uh, Contemplatia alias tradere, which is a, a Latin phrase taken from the Dominican order, uh, which is what Meister Eckhart and, and um, Thomas Aquinas and others were from. And, and it literally means to, to pass on to others what we've gained in contemplation. So we contemplate first, we gain that connection with the divine, and then we live that out. So we're contemplative activists. And I talk about the Jesuits as well in that chapter who, who see themselves completely as contemplative activists. Um, And so they take out into the world, what they've gained in contemplation, but it starts in contemplation. You can't give out of what you don't already uh, possess and embody.
0: Well, I think that's such a great response when, when one of the fears I think people have about entering into contemplative practices is the sort of charge that they're they're self-centered or they're Mm. selfish or they're all about escaping the world and going internal Mm. and shutting everything out and I think it's actually the very opposite, right? That by going Mm -hmm. deeper in, it is from that place that we go out. I mean, just look at story after story of scripture, right? Isaiah, how does he, right? Send me, right? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, We talk about Moses. It was the burning bush where he recognized it, connected with God, and then led this exodus. Jesus, out of his connection to the Father in times of quiet, then is sent out into the world. So Mm -hmm. our tradition is slowing down going internal to connect with God in order to go out that there may not be another way to go out at least not in a healthy way. Mm
1: You yeah, know? absolutely. And we go, go back to right, right to the beginning of our conversation, we go back to Gregory Palamas and his defense of Hesychasm because that was actually one of the main points of the attack on this Hesychast tradition, um, that all they did was to sit there and to, to kind of, you know, stare into their navel. It's actually where the phrase navel gazers comes from. It's the attack on the Hesikas, Um, because they would literally take the physical position of bending down into themselves to and, and staring at their, their belly button. Uh, because they wanted to kind of really take, get that sense of the internal connection. Um, so the defence was, no, actually, the purpose of that is to then be able to, to live that out. Um, and I think that's really important that we, that we get that balance.
0: So maybe maybe we should name this episode "I I Want to Be a Naval Gazer." That's kind of I want to be a naval gazer. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's that's what we actually want to do. So, so for someone entering onto this path, maybe maybe they've been on a long time or they're just getting started. As as we sort of come to a close of our time, do you have a word of encouragement uh, for people on this journey based on your experience and others that you work with?
1: I think there's just an understanding that it is a journey. Uh, and it does take practice. Um, and one of the, the illustrations that I use in an earlier book I wrote, The Mystic Path of Meditation, uh, is to, to kind of uh, relate it to learning and to playing an instrument. Um, so imagine that you're learning to play the piano. Uh, so what you don't want to do is sit down at the piano, having not really ever played or maybe just tinkered about a bit, and put a piece of Mozart up in front of you and go, right, that's what I'm going to play today. You no, know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You're going to look at it and go, it's impossible. No one can ever play that. I'm never going to be able to do that. But we know that it is possible because we've mm. heard other pianists who are practiced and, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, well versed at it. We've heard them play it. Um, so we know that it is possible through practice. Um, and same, the same is true with, with the contemplative practice. You know, you, you start learning the piano by, by learning your, your, your scales, by learning simple songs, uh, like, like Three Blind Mice or Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star or Chopsticks or whatever it is. And then you, you progress and you get better and you get better. And, and actually, the more you practice, the better you become at it. Um, and and there's there's also the thing about learning becoming proficient at piano. Um, there's very uh, there's a variety of ways of playing piano. Uh, so you can be the, the 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 best classical pianist that there is, or you can be the best jazz pianist that there is. is. are very different ways of playing the piano. But you're not a better pianist because you can play the classical piece better than the jazz pianist, because the jazz pianist can play the jazz pieces better than the classical pianist. Because what they've, they've done is they've taken those things that, that have resonated with them and they've focused on that. So firstly, I think the encouragement would be uh, that it is a journey and it does take practice. Uh, so don't don't, don't don't worry if you fail at it to start with, you know, little bits at a time, like learning to play an instrument. Uh, but then also there are so many different ways of practicing the contemplative tradition. Um, so, you know, you might resonate with classical pianism or uh, uh, you might cl- resonate with, with uh, a jazz pianist uh, playing, you know, or, you know, the, the, the uh, metaphors coming into contemplative, find the practice that, that resonates with you, that you feel most connected to um, because different people will find different ways uh, of, of being able to deepen their relationship the most with God. So, uh, you know, I, I, do, I use practices which other people don't find helpful. I find some practices unhelpful that other people find incredibly helpful. So it is a journey, uh, it is, is a process. Um, and, and, you know, you, you fail at, at, at We don't expect someone to be able to play Mozart when they first sit down at the piano. So don't expect yourself to be um, a grand meditator uh, or conservative when you first sit down. And also find find what resonates with you and connects with you the most deeply.
0: I, I think that's a really good word. And you know, we only began to scratch the surface of the art of peace. In there, you also talk about. I just want to mention it because I know this is another question people often have that none of these practices are about us transforming ourselves, but us opening yeah. to God doing the transforming. Um, and so it, it's a wonderful book, friends, I would, I would highly recommend people go check it out. It is called The Art of Peace. We I will have a link to it in the description. Uh, so people can go check it out. But where else can they find you and the work that you're up to to stay connected?
1: Uh, so if you just go to my website which is waymarkministries.com uh maybe you can stick a link to that in in, in as well um that that kind of gives you information about everything that i'm doing uh, and also ways to connect as well so you know like like, like yourself you know if you wanted to kind of uh, do this or i do um you know workshop days and things which i can do via zoom uh so it, that opens things out a lot more um, than just the local people being able to come along and stuff. So yeah, it's at waymarkministries.com is really where you'll find uh, what, what's going on with me.
0: Absolutely. You can find that link in the description below. So whatever platform you're looking on or listening to this on, you can find Waymark Ministries as well as a link to the book. David, or brother Cassie, thank you so much for your time today. I, I feel like I could talk to you about this forever, but I, I, <laughs> I really, I'm really honored by your time. Thank you for what you brought today and thank you for your work in this tradition.
1: Bless you, Phil, and bless everything that you do as well.
0: Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this conversation today with David Cole. I do highly recommend going and checking out those links in the description below to go deeper with the work that David is doing. And also friends, if you have been blessed by Rua Space, if you'd like to go deeper with us, then I highly recommend going and checking out the link below to our Patreon page. This is one place where you can help support the ministry as well as gain access to some really cool exclusive content and series that we offer there. We also offer Christ-Centered Yoga, which you can find on our YouTube channel or in our memberships that help you stretch in body, mind, and spirit. So thanks again, friends, for being with us here today. We look forward to seeing you and talking to you next time. Until then, grace and peace be with you.